welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Kuja and Times Newspapers Limited. And the citation for this case is 2017 UKSC 49. And we can start by saying that a general common law right to privacy in this country is, perhaps surprisingly, a relatively new phenomenon and finds its origins in the case of Campbell and MGN Limited from 2004. Quite a famous case, and the judges in that case took the equitable action of breach of confidence and integrated both Article 8, the right to private and family life, and Article 10, freedom of expression, from the European Convention on Human Rights. This is the area of the law that we're going to be focusing on in this case, and it too involves the relationship between a private individual and the press, as was seen in that Campbell case. The origins of this case, however, can be traced back to Operation Bullfinch that exposed a number of paedophiles in the Oxford area. One of the people arrested was Tariq Kuja, a millionaire landlord and former magistrate who is quite well known locally. The basis for his arrest was that one of the victims stated that she had been abused by a man named Tariq. However, she later failed to pick Kuja out of an identity parade, and so he was released without charge. Both the Times and the Oxford Mail wanted to publish details of the arrest, but clearly Kuja was not especially keen on this idea, and he managed to get an injunction from a magistrate shortly after the arrest, that no identifying information should be published about him until he was actually charged with an offence. Once Kuja was released without charge, the newspapers applied to have the injunction lifted on the basis that the criminal trials associated with Operation Bullfinch would not be prejudiced by the story. A draft ruling was made available stating that the original injunction would be lifted, and so Kuja applied to the High Court for an interim injunction, to prohibit publication, and this is where the privacy arguments really come to the fore. Nevertheless, the application for such an injunction failed at both the High Court and the Court of Appeal, and so the case came before a seven-judge panel in the Supreme Court, where we will pick up the arguments. As mentioned at the start, the main contrast is between Articles 8 and 10 of the European Convention on Human Rights, And when attempting to achieve a balance between those two competing rights, the approach that the court takes is derived from the 2004 case of In Re S, Identification, Restrictions on Publication. However, part of Kuja's argument was that the more recent case of A and British Broadcasting Corporation in 2014 had altered the approach that the court should take. To cover this incredibly briefly, A's name in that case could not be published because there were also Article 2 and Article 3 issues that came into play, and publication would have also undermined a deportation agreement. However, the Supreme Court did not think that that case was a suitable comparison with the one involving Kuja. A and BBC was very dependent on the unique facts of that case and could not be applied here, so the lower courts had been correct to rely on the earlier reasoning in in Ries. Another argument that was put forward sought to question a comment made by the late Lord Roger in another privacy case from 2010 in In Re Guardian Newspapers and Media Limited. The observation in question was that the general public were capable of distinguishing between suspicion and guilt, and Kuja submitted that this was a legal presumption that was not warranted. 
the majority of the Supreme Court, five judges to two, were also unimpressed by this line of argument and held that Lord Roger was not intending to establish a legal presumption, but was merely commenting on the view that would be taken by the public at large. It should be noted that there was dissent on this point from Lords Kerr and Wilson, who held that there was an intention to state a legal presumption, but there had been no evidence given in support of this presumption. Given that this had actually been the basis for the lower court judge dismissing Cooja's application for an injunction, they dissented on the overall decision and would have found in favour of the appellant. Examining the Article 8 case, they believe that Cooja would have established his right to a full injunction at a full trial. Overall though, the majority felt that there is no reasonable expectation of privacy for the matters that were discussed, and any impact on Cooja's family would only be indirect or incidental. There is a clear public interest in the press being able to report on public legal proceedings, and this extends to the name of those who are involved. When I was thinking about a conclusion to this episode, the theme of the case, and in particular the distinction in the public's mind about suspicion and guilt, made me think about the wide range of sexual assault cases from Hollywood and Westminster that are currently dominating the headlines. All of the cases that are being reported on are horrendous, and a huge amount of sympathy is rightly going out to those who have been affected. On the other side of that coin, there is also a huge amount of anger being directed at the perpetrators of this sexual violence, and this is where more subtle legal questions come into play. Of course, when dealing with someone like Harvey Weinstein, the questions are a lot easier because there are simply so many allegations and open police investigations that it is hard to ignore. But how do the press deal with the fact that Weinstein denies the allegations of rape and has not actually been found guilty at trial as yet? As a part of fair and honest journalism, this is an important fact to reiterate in any story on the subject, but when the evidence and the sheer volume of allegations is so overwhelming, it is difficult for any member of the public not to equate suspicion with guilt. This brings us back to the case before us today where a similar problem emerges. Should there be a legal presumption that the public understands the distinction between suspicion and guilt? The problem here is that I don't think that this can become a question of degree. We cannot say that the public is more or less likely to associate suspicion with guilt in certain cases and therefore apply a right to privacy on that basis alone. The real problem is that the courts are basically debating whether or not the public are idiots, and this is dangerous ground. Of course, there are always going to be some people who will equate suspicion with guilt, and in the current climate this is not even surprising, but these people should be given the freedom to make their own decision, even if that is wrong. Reputational damage is something that has to be managed through openness and honesty, rather than hiding behind injunctions. This is not to say that privacy has no role to play, and we have seen in the A and BBC case referred to earlier that there are occasions where it really is a matter of life and death. Privacy is important, but has to be applied in a strict and deliberate manner by the courts when dealing with public legal proceedings. Well, thank you very much for once again tuning into another episode of the UK Law Weekly podcast. Uh, remember to check out the website at uklawweekly.com. 
get in touch with me at contact at uklawweekly.com. And also, if you get a chance, remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That is very much appreciated. I will be back next week with another case. But in the meantime, bye. Bye.